America. My name is Amir Yosef Frimpong. I come to you live every Friday. Today, I'm coming to you uh, very early on Thursday morning, uh, uh, Friday morning, because I'm taking the family with skipping town for a week or so, and I want to make sure that you get the wisdom that you're, uh, like you are, you deserve, and you've become attuned to and accustomed to, and some of you, the responsible members of you, pay for. Um... So today we're going to talk a little bit about the backlash to critical race theory and that's going on in the school boards. I'm going to do quick, two quick shows, one on the backlash to critical race theory, another on some worker issues once the show's done, and then that'll be it for a week or so. So the backlash against critical race theory is fantastic. Look, a lot of the work of the civil rights movement was getting white people to white out loud in their ridiculous ways and violent ways in public because a lot of the work of white supremacy is getting black people to blame themselves and their own institutions for our current degradation, right? So if you can get white people to show their hands at being the principal actors in the racialized degradation and supremacy in America, then like we could have actually the fight, right? You can actually have a, you know, good racial justice policy. But as long as the white hand it remains implicit and black people are explicitly told to blame themselves or they're, to hustle harder or to do whatever for the fact of such like, uh, like disparate and violently enforced resource allocation is, is um, yeah, is, is, I mean, you got, the American story is about black degradation is that it's not an American problem. It's a black problem. Black people need to blame themselves individually or blame their families or blame something black for, for black degradation. Not, <laughs> excuse me, not blame the fact that, for example, Oregon like barred black people from buying property till 1926, like 1920s. And you can imagine property in 1926 by the time you're getting, so if you're black and you move into Oregon now, you're pretty much playing Monopoly. You, you're hopping into a Monopoly game where everyone else has like had, you know, five turns to buy up all the property. So that's why you're not, you're not, you don't really find black people moving to Oregon or in Oregon because there is no black money in Oregon and you're competing against white money in Oregon that's grown, having grown in Oregon. So, <laughs> um, the goal of America is to get black people to blame themselves. The goal of critical race theory is to say that a lot of these, in, a lot of these institutions are what they are because they serve white interests in such a way. For example, the Brown versus Board of Education um, verdict isn't really the application of the 14th Amendment because you could just as easily say that the freedom of association allows segregation, right? Freedom of association says you can't like, force me to associate people that I don't want to associate with. So it's not just a legal determination. It's something else. Well, it served white interests. It served white Cold War interests because they were worried about how we were being viewed as the state that occasionally lynched Negroes, how we were being viewed by the international press. Foreign dignitaries would come to the U.S. and then uh, be treated like trash, and then the foreign press would write horrible stuff about the U.S. Uh, or like the fact of black um, World War II veterans coming to coming back home from killing Europeans over in Europe, and then they'd come to the United States and be treated like trash. And what that did to both military morale and, and you know, black tranquility, having all of these uh, 
black men who are used to fighting and killing Europeans come back and 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 not like their lot here. Right? And then look at the racialized distribution of the GI Bill, and they started to have words about that. And so the Civil Rights Movement, you know, uh, the Brown versus Board of Education was one of those um, um, uh, uh, functional parts of the black pacification. And so anti-communism, black military veterans. Third thing is the white rural South. The white rural South is pretty much a plantation society for a long time. And I don't know how long many of you guys have been to the South or especially like the South pre like 1992 Olympics. <coughs> or if you just know the South, it's, it was a rural society, right? So agricultural development and moving from uh, rural Southern life and mostly plantation society to like, you know, an economically viable center required loosening up the apartheid regime. Like it was bad for economic growth and a lot of white elites started to see that. So all of these other interests that needed the Supreme Court's verdict as a functional part of their own sustenance um, influenced the court and brought the court to be one way and to another, right? So without anti-communism, without a black military um, uh, disruption, and without the drive to see the South become like an economic center or engine, you're not gonna get a Brown verdict, right? So the Brown verdict isn't just about, the Brown verdict isn't just about the uh, 14th Amendment, because it just as easily could be about the First Amendment freedom of association. The Brown verdict is also about anti-communism, black military, uh, veterans and the need to see the South to be an engine of growth, right? And a lot of these are white concerns, right? So uh, critical race theory grew out of critical legal studies that says like, you know, the court doesn't really just apply the law. It actually does so in a way that meets white extrajudicial interests. And that's the only way to understand court verdicts. Because if you just look at like them as applications of the law, you'll run into a bunch of contradictions. <coughs> so, where does this uh, the backlash against critical race theory? Well, I just want to say that means you don't really understand the Brown verdict unless you understand these three things. It also means you don't understand the Civil War unless you understand uh, the Cold War. You don't really understand the Cold War unless you understand. Um, the Brown verdict as being a feature of it, right? The fact that Russians were looking at black people and being like, ooh, um, we treat you better than your own government treats you. I don't know what you guys say about that. So um, understanding the relationships between them is a matter, is like necessary to understand them themselves. You do not understand the Brown versus Board of Education verdict unless by just studying the 14th Amendment. You need to also study anti-communism, black military um, uh, 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 coming home, and also uh, you know, the need for the South to become an, a viable center in order to understand the Brown verdict. So anything else is, anything less than that is, is uh, under, underdeveloped or underdetermined apprehension of a historical event on either side. You don't understand these three things without understanding the Brown verdict, and you don't understand the Brown verdict without understanding these three things. But formal legal theory will just tell you that the most important thing is like the 14th Amendment, 
when that will just say like, well, but what about the First Amendment about freedom of association? Like, hey. all right. So the backlash against critical uh, race theory is what's important, and that's the real uh, crux of this video. The backlash is fantastic because a lot of the civil rights movement was about getting white people to white out loud explicitly and admit that America is about preserving their feelings more than it is about justice, and we would and that they would do anything to uh, preserve their feelings and comfort. Right. So, and if their feelings and comfort include you know subordinating black people, then uh, they were willing to do that. Right. And so we need to get them to show that out loud. So you get them to turn fire hoses on us for like marching. You, like you, you, you need explicit, uncontrovertible um, uh, evidence of the viciousness of white supremacy, right? And the entitlement of white supremacy. And getting that evidence is actually a little bit tricky because you'll have entire ideological apparatus that says like, well, you know, black people are degraded because they're black. I mean, because of something that's defective in, in them. It's their culture. Not that their culture is a reaction, a direct reaction to white terrorism. But there's something, like, ingrown in them that's... And that's, and that's the story of trying to tell the story of, like, the Brown versus Board of Education without this, right? Right, so um, you'll just try to tell some sort of story about black community degradation as a black problem and not, like, as a response to America's, like, loathsome history. And so we need white people to actually express their loathsomeness. And they do that at these uh, school board meetings and town hall meetings. So have them bring out the ugly. Give Karen the microphone. Tell me, Karen, why don't you want critical race theory um, taught in schools? And have your cell phone video on. <laughs> because it, the, the reasons are going to be fantastic. You, have, you remember, you have a, a movement that grew out of the idea that the purpose of these objective institutions is really white comfort um, and white interests. That, that's critical race theory. It grew out of the idea that the, the purpose of these so-called objective institutions is white comfort and white interests. Now you'll have a backlash where white people will explicitly say the purpose of education is to make their kid feel good, regardless of the truth. I can imagine in South Africa, they'll be like, well, we can't teach about apartheid because, you know, it doesn't make the whites feel good. Might be relevant to understand, you know, the racial dynamics of South Africa right now, but no, we can't teach about apartheid because it might make the whites feel badly. Like that's, or I mean, German did the private, kind of the opposite, right? The idea that, like, well, we can't teach about the, the, the rise of the Third Reich because it might make the, the WASP Germans feel bad. But there's literally, <laughs> that's literally the argument they're giving right now in, in school boards all across America. We can't teach how white institutional interests corrupt and affect um, so-called objective institutions and our central institutions of justice because that might make white people feel badly. That's the argument they're making, and they're making it, and all of the, it, it's divisive, it's divisive. Yeah, we're already divided. Math is, like, you look at income and wealth um, distributions, that they're already divided. The question is why they're divided. The default answer to that divided, the why they're divided, is because black people are deficient. 
That's the default answer. That's the non-critical race theory answer. That's just like, well, you know, America, America's a meritocracy, so if black people just hustle harder, uh, they would do it. The real answer is like we have to deal with the legacy of racial terrorism that, that affects all of our objective institutions. Um, so I don't, like, that's, that's, and unless you're, like, willing to look at that legacy of racial terrorism, then it's not going anywhere because institutions don't die like people do. They just kind of keep, keep being reproduced. So these white people aren't that much different than their grandparents. Um, I mean, they might be as kids, but as they grow older and their inheritances start kicking in, they'll, they'll become just as feckless as their, their parents and, and white parents. So unless you um, kind of address the institutions, like we had a Moynihan report on the black family, I think we need one on the white family to, to see how it's kind of like it reproduces a, a quality of pathology that I think is really unbecoming. So, <laughs> so the backlash provides the media, the school board backlash provides the media the explicitness of white people whiting out loud and in awful ways um, in a way that's very, very useful for those of us who care about justice. Because they're explicitly saying that the purpose of this institution, the purpose of our public schools is to make white kids feel good about themselves regardless of the history. The purpose of teaching history is to make white kids feel good about history. And that's what unity is. Mind you, that same history, teaching that, makes black kids feel awful about themselves and blame themselves in ways that are like completely inappropriate. But that doesn't matter because the purpose of the schools and the unity and the, uh, that we're looking for is a unity where white kids feel good about themselves and everybody else just kind of like understands that that's how America works. That's the unity that they're trying to preserve. And that's a unity that I very much want to disrupt. Because it's not really a wholeness. It's, not, it's, a, it's an order of white supremacy. It's an orderly order of white supremacy, which is why a lot of recent immigrants will probably support that, because they came over here to be part of America's orderly order of white supremacy, which will allow you to rise as long as you just kind of, white supremacy grants you provisional whiteness. <laughs> Um, as long as you go along with like its anti-black project. And, but you remember, your whiteness is only provisional. They can take it back if you start beating white people at their own game. But that's uh, fodder for another story. So I, I, I say that now because you're going to find a lot of recent immigrants who are also going to be against critical race theory because like, you know, they came from failed states and, and they moved to the United States to, uh, to, to get rich here under white supremacy and they just don't want like, you know, the rules to change. All right, thank you for your time. I will hope you enjoyed the show. If you do enjoy anything I do, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, 15 or $50 a month because, you know, this, like a lot of things cost and the pandemic has uh, done some work on our family economy. So I could appreciate any, any, uh, any contributions that, that you give. And you know, I also think I provide a service and in America people should be paid for the services they provide. All right, this is part one. I'm gonna um, cut this off and then go to uh, uh, talk about a different, a different issue. Peace. <laughs>